Today, I'm talking to Josh Pickford. He is the founder of Maybe, and he recently open-sourced the whole code base for this financial software tool. He also sold Metrics a couple years ago for $4 million. So this project now is a continuation of his interest in the financial industry and dealing with money. I talked to Josh about all kinds of things, about involving people from the community in building your product, about raising money for something that could also be bootstrapped, and how to to manage such a thing in a community and an industry that is usually pretty slow to take up new technology. Enjoy this conversation between me and Josh. The whole conversation is sponsored by Acquire.com. Now here is Josh. Josh, thanks so much for coming on the show. You've been giving a building a public masterclass over the last few weeks, and I really enjoyed it. Let's talk about maybe. What is it? Why are you building it in public? And why are so many people so excited about it right now? Yeah, well, thanks for having me on. Um, so maybe it's something that I started back in 2021 post exit of a previous company. And, um, we spent the better part of 18 ish months building that not in public, really. Um, launched it and found ourselves in a pickle, um, where we had gone the sort of typical VC route, hired a lot. And then we launched a thing and essentially ran out of money to be able to see it through to grow it. So uh, found ourselves on a spot where we did like downsize the whole team to like two or three of us uh, and ultimately shut it down. Um, and then uh, a few weeks ago, I got, I was feeling really nostalgic and decided to open source the whole thing. And uh, that hit a nerve and now it's alive again and we've raised some more money, but rebuilding the company differently this time. But uh, yeah, people are pretty pumped about seeing a, the, the fintech software the insides of it so that's that's the surprising part to me too like fintech tends to be a very cl closed source ecosystem and you're just throwing it out there and open source like how did you come to that kind of conclusion to, to just throw it out there because you could have done many different things right you could have just restarted it hired outsourced all that but open source that's a pretty solid choice yeah. i well so i had i really wasn't thinking that anything it in my head the the choice is sort of binary in that either this this stays in a private Git repo and no one ever sees it, the end. I mean, I would no plans of reviving it in any way. And so it was that, or make it open source and then like maybe somebody can do something with it. And it was so complex that it wasn't the kind of it was it was never the the kind of thing that somebody was going to be able to just grab the repo and like deploy it and have their own version of maybe like we had sort of over-engineered it for a multitude of reasons, but um, it was, you know, even now we're a few weeks in of tens of thousands of people like seeing it and like it still is kind of a hassle to get it up and running. So like it, it was more of just a, you know, I'm curious what other people will do with it. Um, curiosity more than anything. Well, cool. yeah, I, I see you rehired uh, one of your software engineers too. That's so. I love this. I love the cyclical nature of this. There's the SAC, there's right? more of that. There's more of that coming. Oh actually. wow, that's cool. Yeah, <laughs> I, I was reading Sachs tweets about it, and it was pretty interesting because he gave some very transparent insight into the back then and the now of where the the vision goes. And apparently, uh, he was talking about a lot of compliance stuff. Like uh, the version one had a lot of requirements because you had a lot of advice, financial advice that you were giving. And version two, the open source version, doesn't have that. Can you just kind of elaborate on that choice and why? You made yeah. It? So when we um, so when we first started, it was the impetus for maybe um, was was sort of uh, so exited Bear Metrics, sold that company, 
uh, took home close to four million, like me personally. And so, what I the situation we found ourselves in was uh, us, me and my wife, was we've got a, all this money from this exit. I want to not blow it, so I started working with a financial advisor, um, and that was the first time, first time we've ever worked with a you know, advisor or planner, or whatever. So it's like I've got this mix of we're doing this and I have all the free time in the world and I can dig into like, well, what is, what does a financial advisor do? How do they grow our money? Um, and why are we paying them a percentage of the assets that they're managing? And so that's when I like went deep dived into this, this, that whole world realizing like, oh, they're not doing anything all that great to warrant taking a percentage of assets. Um, However, it is nice to have a third party kind of like gut check you on some stuff. So the idea was we'll build this like modern platform for managing your own finances. But with that, we'll tack on a financial advisor as part of your account. Um, And that choice, though, meant that we've got an infinite number of regulatory things to comply with. Um, And so uh, that added a ton of overhead. It meant that we could only be in the U.S., I mean, we could expand to other places, but like we would have to meet all the regulatory requirements in all of those countries too. And so it very quickly sort of limited us on um, sort of addressable market, um, how fast we can move on things, tech choices, because there's things like we have to keep um, an, you know, an unchangeable copy of every single interaction for like seven years or something. Like there's just a lot of, a lot of tech choices that, that forced. And so that made overhead very, um, high and tech stack complicated, like all sorts of stuff. But now we're saying we're not doing that anymore. There's no advice component. We can rip out half the code. Like that's sort of where we're at. But that's cool. Yeah, that's awesome. And I, I think just kind of shaving off complexity is generally a good idea, right? If you want to revive something that was too expensive to run. So I kind of, I kind of really appreciate that, that logic makes sense too. Um, do, do you think that people are going to build their own advice systems on top of, on top of this? Because right now you're kind of just supplying the way to, to gather data, if I get yeah, this correctly. I guess you could. I mean, you know, there's, um, it's not in the current sort of most recent. Uh, commits, but like if you go to the very first commit of the thing that I open sourced a few weeks ago, the whole like advice dashboard is there. So like you could build. I mean, we had built a very full featured, an advi- uh, a certified um, financial advisor could go in, and it's like a whole thing for them to manage their clients and interact with them, like a chat system, uploading videos and audio, like tons of stuff. Um, that's there if somebody wants to grab it and do something with it. But it does. It comes with regulatory overhead and. At this point, we're not interested. Yeah, that's that, that sounds very complicated, <laughs> and it, it sounds like very hard to monetize as well because you know that that just the increasing costs and all that that probably makes it hard to to get a cut. How are you going to monetize this open source kind of system? Yeah, so pr- pretty typical. I mean, you know, the I think the the example most people would understand or sort of like see the correlation is like WordPress, where you know it was wide open source for ages, and then they did like WordPress.com, and so you could have your own hosted. Um, WordPress, essentially the same thing. I don't think it's a little less, it's a little more consumery, I guess, and on our side where we're not going to like talk about maybe is like get your own hosted version of like we're not going to use that language, I guess. It's just you'll go to the maybe website and sign up for an account and that's that. Um, but there is, it's sort of the hosted version that you'll pay for um, will just be the version that, you know, most of civilization uses. Um, and 
the open source stuff is like it's available for those that want to self deploy and all that stuff. Um, yeah, that that seems to be one of the the few but very like promising ways of monetizing any kind of open source project, right? Sure. You keep you keep the core free, you keep it self deployable, but you kind of have these added services or just the the well there there's things especially in the financial world where you know like connecting all your bank accounts um there's all these different data aggregators plaid sort of the most well known one um and very few i mean quite literally probably 99% of these aggregators across the world uh don't have an option for an individual to use them um they just require enterprise contracts and stuff so you know on the on the hosted version of maybe that will will offer for pay it'll include those data aggregators where you're not having to sort of manually import CSVs and things, um, whereas a self-hosted, most of that will be either manually inputting data or uploading a CSV or something like that. So so there's the upsell. Now I get it. Like I was wondering just a little bit where, where that value would be of a, of a hosted version. But of course, like you having the capacity to, to get these aggregators in. I, I, was, I was thinking a lot about this because ever since I moved from Europe to Canada, like the automate automatability of my financials has just gone down the drain. It's like super crazy. The the kind of standards that Europe has or Germany with, you know, the in, in fintech, there are APIs that every single bank has to offer and you can kind of fetch data from there. It does not exist here. When I go to my bank here in Canada, it's like, yeah, you can kind of copy and paste it from the website if you like. It's like, it's, it's really hard to pull that into anything else. So how is that like you come from a place where within a day you can build something really cool you can refactor if you wanted to your whole code base in 24 hours right just go a tweet that you threw out a, a couple a couple days ago um you could and nobody can stop you but working with these banks working with these particularly in the states and i guess if you expand to other places like canada with these very self-contained places how are you approaching that kind of integratability so what we're working on right now is essentially standardizing the data model on our side, and then uh, and then everything will have to sort of meet that. So like we'll we'll make it so that you know we build a Plaid integration, um, even just for us to use. Um, but it'll then have it. It'll be sort of self-contained, and then just pull in and process the data so that it matches our data model. So you know it ends up being anybody can build a data source sort of plug-in or something, um, depending on where they're located or whatever. Uh, you know, eventually this stuff all becomes like integrated with maybe. That's interesting. It's kind of like a Zapier for financial data. That Yeah, essentially, because it's like the, a lot of the banking data um, includes more sort of detail than is actually necessary for the average sort of financial application. So it's like um, we can we can standardize or sort of reduce the complexity into you know money in money out kind of thing in most cases you know it gets a little, a little bit more complicated when you're talking about investments and buying and selling things and whatever but um the idea is we can sort of standardize all that stuff and and then simplify the the incoming data God, it reminds me so much of that one XKCD where it's about like there's 15 standards for this kind of thing. Let's just implement the standards for all standards. And now there's 16 standards for that kind of thing. <laughs> right? It's fun though. I, I think it's just necessary, right? If you want to be able to integrate with all these platforms and there is no core standard or central standard, you just have to establish an interface for it. I love the idea because once that is established, 
and, and it is also fully documented and communicated to your community of contributors and people who are interested in using it, they can start building these extensions and you can kind of add them to the system as they come. And they can also be externally maintained, which is really cool. Is that, is that like an ongoing plan to just like give the community the opportunity to keep building and maintaining these things? Or are you going to pull them all in? Um, I, I think it, so there's a, a little bit, the only sort of, um, I guess, hesitation or risk of having too much external stuff is security when you're talking about financial stuff. Um, I think, um, the say like linking out to stuff that's like, Hey, download this thing that pulls in your banking data. Like (laughs) (laughs) it feels, it feels a little, it feels a little risky. So, um, I feel like we would need to have some sort of, you know, we have an internally hosted set of like directory of, um, plugins or something. I don't know. That's been vetted and made sure that it's not, you know, scraping your data or something. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Um, I think it may be one of those things that the self hosting crowd ends up having their own sort of lots of plugins to choose from. Um, I mean, this is kind of the case again to the WordPress example. Like you can install plugins on WordPress.com, but like there's some limitations to that, right? Like you're not going to have the full breadth of, plugins to choose from um so yeah i don't know we're still that's still super early so yeah and i I would love to just kind of you know brainstorm these kind of things i find them very interesting because when you're when you're at this point now starting just to build the potential for a plugin marketplace if if that would even be the name for it or just a repository that is kind of validated and tested and secured like there are so many different ways if you look at wordpress the example is, is great i think you can you can install manually like any plugin anywhere can be locally installed but kind of has to kind of adhere to the restrictions or you can just choose one of the the ones that they have pre approved Right, that they are securely located in there, the big list of things that are wonderful, and you just click on it and it's right there. Right. That that kind of duality gives you some choice as a platform maintainer to to just what to offer and how to secure it. That's a really cool thing, too. Yep. Well, and like that sort of jumps into uh, another way that we're thinking about this. And I've, I've tweeted about this a little bit, like the concept of maybe being your like the sort of OS for, for personal finance, where you know, uh, internally we talk about having apps or modules um, such that, you know, you could potentially build your own sort of module that's got its own set of like tools for whatever specific stage of life you're in or something like that. I mean, I think we'll have our own stuff that we're building, but the idea of being able to create your own, yeah, you know, modules that's or something. Cool. Um, yeah, and, and any kind of standardized interface makes perfect sense for that, right? That's that's fun. Yeah, standalone apps, uh, that kind of reminds me of a tweet that you just sent prior to, to this uh, conversation about once, like the stuff that the Basecamp people have been doing. Is that kind of uh, the, the, the taste that you have for these apps just to be just standalone in, instead of being hosted on something else? Not necessarily. Um, I, I am most curious about the once stuff from a deployment perspective, like how easy they've made it to sort of self-host, uh, in this case, Campfire, their first um, app. I like that idea, um, at least as far as some sort of inspiration around making the maybe app itself sort of self-hostable, um, making it where it's, you know, you copy and paste this one, literally a single command into the command line and then it walks you through everything else. Like that's that's sort of, to me, is like, sort of the gold standard for a self-hostable but also like modifiable code base. Yeah, I I have some 
very recent experience with that kind of stuff in the the PHP ecosystem. Like my most recent SaaS projects are both built on Laravel, and Laravel has this incredible ecosystem. Like there there are like billing portals and backend admin portals and all that that you just pull in through the package management system. You still have to kind of log in with your you know account or API key if it's a paid system, or some of them are free. It's it's a very interesting monetization model there too. But it all gets pulled in through Composer, which is kind of the the NPM of PHP <laughs> for anybody working with. JavaScript, right? The idea is to just have it be hosted somewhere. You pull it in and then it's right there. And maybe it's, it's kind of just a vendor thing. It works in the background, but you can expose the actual config files and the, the view files and, you know, what the way it looks like, the, what text is in there, just how the database is connected, all of that yourself and just keep building on top of it. And I think once in the Ruby world, that this, the idea of having these standalone Ruby apps are, it's doing the exact same thing. It's, it's a very interesting approach. And kind of a novel and a not so novel approach. It reminds me very much of the beginnings of open source software, right? It's, it's kind of a, a cycling back. Let's, let's talk a little bit about tech choices because like, I think for 40 to 50% of your tweets over the last couple of days have been about tech, like just straight up JavaScript or Rails, right? Like which to do, to do, which to take, which to choose, which not to choose. Can you just kind of give me a glimpse into your mind regarding to picking a tech stack for a project like this and why? And what, what kind of concerns you have in picking this? Yeah. So we're in a super weird spot with maybe where I, you know, if I'm building something myself and no one else is involved, I'm choosing Rails 100% of the time. Um, and previous company, Bear Metrics, we were Rails uh, app. Um, when I started maybe in 2021, um, I had no plans of, building any part of it. I mean, like from a coding perspective, at least. And, and I think that choice at the time was coming off of like, I hadn't really been building much of anything the prior few years. Cause I was in full on CEO mode. And, um, so I think in part, I didn't feel equipped to be able to build this financial app, um, at the time. And, um, and so it was like, well, I'll hire some, I'll hire engineers and, they can talk amongst themselves and choose and whatever. Like I'm not, it doesn't really matter to me because I'm not coding any of this. Um, so that resulted in React being the sort of base for it. It's React and Next.js and a few other bits and pieces. Um, I mean, that's, you know, was and still is on a lot of levels like the the most popular sort of tech stack. And um and so it was like, okay, well, let's do that because there's a huge pool of developers, uh, you know, available for that, et cetera. So that was the route. That was like a choice that was made in early 2021. And, you know, we just went with it. Now, where we're at at this point is we've revived this thing. It's still that same tech stack. But, you know, as we were talking like before we started recording, the, that whole world has changed drastically since 2021. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, it's changed drastically in the past six months. And, um, so, now we're at this place of like, okay, we're already having to rip out a ton of code because of like, there's so much in there for the compliance stuff um, and the features that aren't part of the app anymore. We're already having to rip out stuff. A lot of the stuff, a lot of stuff just doesn't work because like the JavaScript world changes so fast and whatever packages have updated and they're no longer compatible with each other and whatever else. And so it's kind of a dumpster fire from like a, compatibility perspective of all the different bits and pieces. So now the thing we're playing around with in our heads and talking amongst ourselves about is 
what if we we rebuilt it in rails um obviously that reduces and this is the discussion that's been happening on twitter for the past 72 hours is um you reduce the number of available developers then which my argument there is but you increase the quality of development <laughs> Whoa, and that's not that's but that like <laughs> i want to be clear i'm not trying to to burn anyone here because i think it's the the reality is so many people brand new devs of course the t- the tech stack that they're learning is the thing that's most being hired for so like i don't fault people for that it's just there happens to be um a lot of very very green developers in that world fine totally cool nothing wrong with that um but i uh i think that also means you end up with a lot more and we've found this to be the case already in our oss repo for maybe is like a lot of the discussions are like people sort of you know arguing semantics of code versus just writing some code and it's very easy to argue about the way you should or shouldn't do things instead of just making a decision and building the thing and so um i tend to find that most people in the rails world err towards let me let me ship something um over let me like try to get this code in some sort of standardized way or you know, i don't know like they just argue about that stuff a lot, a lot less it still exists but um either way that's sort of where we're at is like we already know the data model behind maybe is set like how we organize all the data and, and how all these things sort of relate to one another um i think it's very solid and a lot of these big decisions have already been made so then it becomes a uh, okay let's just get the infrastructure around it rebuilt and um i joked about building it in 24 hours but like last summer when we started like trying to simplify some stuff as a proof of concept like i rebuilt the maybe like net worth dashboard stuff uh in like five days like by myself um and so i think it's very doable to i you know i think one of the other tweets i said was like in 30 days um i think i could rebuild the entire thing and i do think that that's true now you know, uh, certainly people disagree with that being a possibility, but like, um, <laughs> well, I, they I, ever. Think <laughs> I think it's possible. Um, and so we're just, we're looking into that. I mean, we, you know, later today we've got a call with, um, a number of people who have very deep ties in like the JavaScript world that can potentially like change our minds on some of that stuff. But, um, we're just sort of not I, – I don't want to, like, make a – keep doing something just because, like, that's the code that's there. And then we end up sticking with something. We're constantly trying to backtrack or undo stuff or, like, I don't know. Just, just There's a lot of overhead that I think comes with the JavaScript ecosystem. Yeah, for sure. There's, and there, there's a risk of just sunk cost fallacy kind of behavior, right? You, you don't want that either. Just because you've invested time into this doesn't mean it's a good choice. And honestly, I've been doing a lot of JavaScript. Like I, I, I was, I was around in the, the coffee script days of of two thousand and like nine and ten and stuff. And and it was a good time. And it, stuff was developing, and it still is. It never stops developing, right? It's not like there there ever is like an, an endpoint to where this goes. It just develops so fast. That just what you said, the libraries you're using today might have a, a major version update tomorrow that requires you to integrate TypeScript or whatever. And now all of a sudden you have a completely new thing to put into your stack. And it just makes it brittle, which is, I think, why there is this massive discussion around best practices, because people want to avoid this brittleness of their code, knowing that over time it's just going to decay so fast. Uh, you don't really have this as much in, in the Rails or PHP or, or in the Python community, right? There's, there's a lot of standardized stuff that is just from smartly designed language things 
that JavaScript as a very, you know, evolving language just doesn't have. But I, I want to talk about something that I just heard you say, like the, the outside feedback from the, the open source contribution community. And I, I want to, uh, I, I recently read a book called Working in Public by, by Nadia Ekbal. It's on, on Stripe Press. It's really nice. It's, I, I think I have it right here. It's really cool. Like it's a, it's a book about open source projects. And I, I found a, a quote in there, which I really liked. It was about people, um, who, who built these projects that the project management is kind of a, a one way mirror. And she, she quoted somebody else saying, like, you wouldn't criticize a painter while they're still painting their piece. But a lot of the people in open source do exactly that. As you're building the code, they're going in there, looking at every little bit and saying, this is not right. This is wrong. How do you deal with this? How do you deal with the, this inevitable community originating feature requests and criticism kind of stuff right now? Yeah. I, so this, the stance that I've been taking in the replies that I sort of give to people who are making either filing issues on the repo or even making pull requests. Um, my response is generally like, what's the impact of this decision? Like what are, how, how does, how does the entire repo and the community of developers at large benefit from this change? And that right there, um, you know, a lot of the sort of semantic arguments, well, you, there's no, it's, there's not, um, a response that says this is good for everyone. It ends up being more of like, well, this is my preference. Okay. Well, then I don't care what your preference here is. Like I need, we need to have tangible benefit to making people change the way that they're doing things or to make this big overhaul. That means people have to go and like, you know, redownload the whole repo and run a bunch of scripts again to get it to update or whatever. I like it's, uh, it's just, I need an explanation. Like you need to, you need to make the case for it. Um, and it can't be, well, I like doing it this way. Or it can't be, well, it compiles faster. Okay, what is faster? Uh, about three milliseconds. Like, I don't care. Like, it doesn't matter, you know? And um, that's, to me, is, like, you need to explain to me why it matters. Uh, and so I tend to be a little dogmatic about that on my responses, which I sort of ends a lot of that stuff, I think. <laughs> Do you think you have enough or, like, sufficiently calibrated tools to deal with these kind of things? What do you mean? In like what sense? In, in the, the whole open source maintenance management tools, that kind of stuff. Oh, like does does GitHub provide enough Pretty tooling? Much, yeah. No, they don't. Um, I think it's you know, there's a lot of stuff that I would love to see sort of built around the management of an open source project. Um, but otherwise, it's it's not that bad. It's just like okay, we there's a lot of people involved. Um, and it's just people management. It ends up being more like the kind of tools that you need to manage like a Discord server. I feel like I need that on GitHub. But yeah, yeah. How's that? What's that looking like for maybe? Like, how are you involving the community? Like on GitHub, Discord, any other places, or how are these things in, interacting? Um, mostly, it's it's yeah, it's Discord, GitHub, and Twitter is kind of where everything happens. Um, and you know, it's trying to you know writing up documents about how to contribute. Um, being really responsive in Discord when people ask questions or say they have trouble getting some, getting something up and running, like okay, let's talk through that. That gives us feedback over how we can make it easier to get up and running with um, the platform. So I don't know. It's mainly just being present and responsive. Yep, that makes sense. Um, you've 
you've talked about just earlier, like funding with this. I, I think that's an important part because obviously this is the Bootstrap Founder Podcast and bootstrapping is technically a, a non-funding activity. But I, I believe that you, you, you get your funding approach is kind of bootstrapper-ish. I think we had this whole conversation or I guess the community had this conversation when you sold Parametrics and everybody was calling you like a bootstrapper and you said, actually, no. <laughs> right, guys? I, I, I may look like one, I may act like one, but you know, there's funding in there. How's that happening now? Now with maybe what's what's the plan for this sure so we back in 2021 um if you'll recall um the the landscape was very different um and um people were just throwing money at everything under the sun so it was easy to raise money and we you know talking about the bootstrapper sort of mentality so we we did not raise a traditional type of vc round we did we went the crowdfunding route um using reg cf which sort of allows anyone to invest and not have to be accredited um so we have we have th around 1300 investors um nice. because of good, the, the crowd funding. table you know <laughs> as little as like 20 dollars of people are involved in um so that was the sort of impetus or, or, or the, the origination of funding for us so raised 1.4 ish million back in 2021 2022 um so that was that was the original and like we spent the vast majority of that trying to get the maybe product out the door um and hired a team of at, at the most were eight people eight full-time people plus contractors so there's a, a decent number of people involved um and that's obviously was the most expensive sort of route to go um but either way so we essentially we're running out of money um shut all this stuff down did a quick pivot and built a tool called detangle that thing makes money or at least uh, isn't losing money um but then when we open sourced all this stuff again um there's a whole other world of people who are interested in investing in uh open source projects um at least commercial like commercially viable open source projects and so yeah so in the past 10 days we've raised another 1.1 and some change million dollars um, but we're we're like refocusing like okay not going the vc typical grow at all cost uh route um i've rehired two people from the previous maybe team and like that's essentially our overhead is that and so um much larger focus on like building the very sustainable profitable business and leaving it at that sounds like a calm business to me like uh well that's that's the goal like i it's the kind of thing i i, I talk about my, my sort of view of maybe is the kind of thing that you start using when you're like 18 and or 16 or whatever and like get your first job and you've got some money and you need to figure out how to budget it and all that stuff until you die and you've got an estate that you're like leaving to your kids or something like that, right? And like all of the stuff that happens in between and all the different ways that you manage your finances. And so with that in mind, we're like building a company that needs to be around for the lifetime of its users. So yeah, so that needs to be calm. It can't be go, 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 go. We're like spending, you know, thousands of dollars to acquire a single customer and like we we need VC money to prop up our uh, terrible customer acquisition costs and um no it's like okay we're like building a very long play here 
So. Is, that, is that also a choice that you made for yourself? Because like post-exit, a lot of founders kind of switch, right? They switch from I need to, I need to, to oh, I might. Or now now I don't have to anymore, but I'm, I'm choosing to do things intentionally. Was it, was that baked into the, the fabric of maybe? The, it, so I, the thing that the Bare Metrics acquisition sort of allowed me to do is not need to do anything, which pros and cons to that, for sure. Um, however, there's... There's now not the need for some, or, or there's not the pull towards some sort of like exit. Like it's okay if this thing takes a long time. It's fine. You know, uh, I haven't taken a dime from like a salary perspective for maybe ever, even from when we had all this funding a couple years ago. So like I can be all in on the maybe stuff and we just see what happens. Like it's like we can take some, some like atypical risks. Because um, I'm not having to like this isn't my job in the sense of like this is how I'm supporting my family like we're fine so um, there's sort of different outcome needs I guess pros and cons though yeah and let's maybe dive into the the cons here as well because everybody's going for the exit going for the the big cash influx but the time that comes after that has a couple challenges too what you just said to me I it reminded me very much of my own choices right now the businesses I'm building they don't have to be profitable immediately I would like to but they they don't have to I I can I can definitely invest a lot of you know like capital in it myself having access to it and just see it you know survive long enough to make money it's it's uh something that i heard somebody call this post-economic state of mind right a state of mind where you do not need to think of your mortgage payments or whatever you just need you, you think about years or decades you don't think about next week or next month and that makes makes a lot of lot of difference but you were talking about challenges of this state of mind of this time what challenges did you encounter after selling well i think the um the the sort of challenges of of not needing to make money uh, means that you you also aren't necessarily optimizing for it or at least the speed of it so i think it can also be I, you know constraints sort of I mean, they breed creativity right and like if you uh if you're trying to build something that makes money well then like you need it to need to make money um and so there's less urgency with that. And again, like there's trade-offs on all that stuff. And um, but I think for me it's the con can be like sort of a oh, we'll get around to the money making part. Um instead of like we have to get around to the money making part. Um so I don't know. Sometimes lighting a fire under you is a good thing, and other times I don't know. This just depends. But um I think for me that's been the harder part, I think, is is I don't feel the urgency most of the time. Um, and some days that's good. Some days it's not, but the, the inverse of that is also true. So I, I relate to this super strongly. Like my, my, my life often feels like, Oh, I could be doing more or I, I could turn this into, and, and then some kind of monetization idea comes along, but then I'm then I'm like, no, I don't have to. And I would rather just be nice and kind to people and help them with stuff. And then, you know, money will come as a consequence of helping people anyway. That's one of the, the core tenets of, of what I believe, which is why I'm building in public and sharing everything that I do anyway, because I see that, you know, helping other people help themselves, best way to do it. And you do the same thing with, with what you're currently doing in a, in a, in a very cool way. Yeah. I, I think that's, that's, that is definitely a challenge to, to still keep doing stuff when you don't have to. Um, 
have you have you ever considered and this is kind of a metaphysical question but have you ever considered what your enough is in terms of not necessarily money because money you know scales infinitely but in terms of the contribution like how much time you want to spend doing things for other people compared to doing things for yourself you know like all this this kind of oh, after i sell i'm gonna sit at a beach and drink like margaritas all day kind of thinking that's like obviously the one extreme the other extreme is i'm never gonna i'm, I'm working full time like all the time doing new things and i think for most people like you and me we're somewhere in between like where is that line like have you have you ever like consciously reflected on that so um i for me it ends up being um i at my core is this sort of need to create something now whether that's software whether that's like music or like woodworking or anything um that's the pull um so in at the end of the day, I'm sort of optimizing for that. Um, that's sort of where I get a lot of fulfillment from. Um, but that 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 has a lot of different flavors. And you know, it's like currently there's I'm doing a lot with software. Just I mean, I've been doing that for the better part of 20 plus years. And so um it's like it's an easy way for me to get like some sort of fulfillment um from a creativity perspective. Um, but I think that changes over time and that's like, and a lot of that's based on life stuff, right? So it's like my, my kids are, are, uh, older. I have one adult kid, a couple of kids in high school, like, um, the, the sort of time and sort of investment in, in that side of life is like different now than it was 10 years ago when they were little. And like, um, I think life's sort of like always evolving regardless. And so, um, so for me, the constant is just like every day I want to create something and, um, and then that enables certain things, right? Uh, something like a big exit lets, uh, let, gives me more freedom to do things with kids and for us to have different experiences and that kind of thing. So I don't know. It's some, it's a weird melting pot, uh, of things, but my, but the way my brain works is like, I have to make stuff in some form or fashion. Yeah, that, that is that's so incredibly noticeable. Like with you in particular, like I I don't remember a time where you didn't do something really interesting. I'm thinking about uh, detangle as a thing of just recently, but also laser tweets and all these other things like over the past. Like laser tweets, you sold that too, right? Like the, these things go come into your life and they they leave your life again. Like you have a very high high churn in the best kind of sense in terms of projects that you're working on. Do you want to keep doing this forever? Like that's also part of this enough question for me. Is this just the state of being that you always want to do? I um maybe I mean so uh, I have this list of like every project that I've ever done on my website and it's I think I was the other day was updating it's like 70 projects or something like that and um and that's everything from just dumb and okay so I start tracking that stuff in 2003 so it's 20 years of making stuff so like I don't know that it's just a sort of it's not necessarily a fad for me. Like, I don't know that I'll stop because <laughs> that's been, you know, at least half of my life, uh, at least on the, from a business perspective, I guess. Um, certainly as a kid, I was making all sorts of stuff too. So, um, I don't, I don't see it changing, but I feel like the hobby side of it may change a bit to the, um, I, I, I said something the other day where it was like, 
uh, I want to use projects or I want to build stuff that like hundreds of p- millions of people use, but I also want to go like live in a cabin by myself and never talk to another human again. And I, I genuinely feel that um, where, you know, is there a scenario one day where, you know, my wife and I are uh, off in the mountain somewhere and like uh, away from civilization? Maybe. I, I I personally would love that. My wife's uh, not quite as like um, – uh, anti-human as I, <laughs> I can be. Um, but, um, I, I, you know, I think it morphs over time, but as my interests change. And I think, I think to me, that's sort of the constant is that I, it has to be something sort of new for me. I just, I'll just get bored. And so, um, there has to be uh, some sort of fresh way to approach it. Otherwise I'll just lose interest. Which which makes this whole open source thing such a smart idea? I feel like well, and, I, yeah, right, <laughs> right. It, it's it's it's, and I think that's one of the motivations behind it was like, well, why not? No one else has really done this, so let's give it a try. That was the case with Bare Metrics, where like we made our dashboard public for everybody to see. It was early on before it was really making much money. It was, um. You know, and I, talking to other founders, the advice was like, "No, don't like put that out in public. Like you're you're shooting yourself in the foot with like comp- competition and stuff." Um, and I was like, "Well, I don't know. Why not? Like, it's I like the ex- I like the experiment of it, and I and I sort of feel that way with this open source stuff. Is I like I like the the experiment of like what happens when you make a million dollars worth of fintech software open source for anybody to use, and then try to build a business around it. You know." Yeah, that's very cool. And I, I love that both of these kind of experiments are kind of uh, like transparency forward experiments. Like you, in, instead of just making things like even more secretive and more secluded, you're just opening up, right? And and I love that with their metrics, like you kickstart, I, I think in, in many ways, the whole open dashboard thing that so many people still do to this day. Right there, there is a time in every business's life where it's beneficial to have it open, and then there is a time when it becomes problematic when there's too much attention. But still, for that time, like building in public as well as a as a seasonal activity, that is a wonderful thing that gets get, gets a lot of goodwill, a lot of trust established in the community of people, and that is always good. And I, I really like that. That's the outcome of this. So with with um with maybe being an open source project that you will monetize through like additional services what's the vision for this going forward like what will what will make you stick with something like this for decades to come when you're a person that always needs novelty yeah i think that's it's the um it's it's not it's understanding that software isn't ever finished i mean depends on what problem you're solving but i think having a a very lofty sort of goal the, where like uh, we want customers that will use the software for sixty years, like that's it, with if that's the goal, there's a lot of work to do to sort of meet the needs of um, in the same way that you know your your own personal finances are always changing, growing, whatever or not growing, which is its own problem to solve. And like um, if we can if we can build products that help people for a lifetime, well, there's a there's a lot of interesting things to try to make that happen versus, you know, some other more hyper specific tool set or something like that. So I don't know. The, the, given the the breadth of work to do, um, I, that's sort of a never ending sort of thing to solve. Yeah, it's it's, it's a 
it's a field that will present you with not only throughout the seasons of anybody's life that are also changing, but even the, the economies of the future are going to introduce new things, right? Like the whole Bitcoins and whatnot, like all the, the crypto stuff that will be an interesting challenge to integrate. And that will change. That will be flexible. Man, I, I, I'm so close to making a joke about lifetime payments and lifetime prices here. And I, I don't really know what the joke would be, but have you thought about um, monetizing with that kind of stuff? Because obviously when you think about 60 years, like would you ever think think about selling access to a product for that um i could see if if maybe was able to be a sort of downloadable product that didn't need external data yes so the problem here with finances uh, it depends on it a lot of times it just needs external stuff even even if you're manually inputting data there's still a lot of stuff around the value of certain things. So like stock market data, for instance. Like if you've got investments, well, like we need the investment data to tell you what the current value is of your investments. And um, that's, that, is, that is the reason, a lot of the reason at least, to, to have a subscription fee is like each account has costs for us, right? And, and so, um, you know, as nice as it would be to sort of almost go this somewhat altruistic route of like let you have a one-time fee for it the reality is that like that's not super possible at the moment um maybe it will be in the future i don't know um that's uh aptly named product i guess for 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 that kind of you know an unspecific future but i i think that's that's kind of where where i'm getting with the whole one stuff with the basement uh base camp people (laughs) basement base camp people like the idea of like selling a product once having people self-hosted and run it forever makes perfect sense if it's its own internal kind of isolated database and you just have you know people chatting with each other and you keep it all on your server but the moment there are api integrations that you only can provide like if people can run it on their own servers that's also fine but if they stuff that you need yeah obviously subscription models make sense yeah and and, and in many ways your definition of lifetime is a very refreshing one because like most people would define lifetime as lifetime of the product right lifetime of however long they want to run their servers but for you it really is the lifetime of the customer so i'm i'm very much looking forward to seeing you just go on this journey and build something really really cool in front of everybody with the help of people who are interested in it if people want to follow you on this journey, both you personally, the product, the company, where do you want them to go? Whether you want them to see the journey, whether you want them to contribute, put it all out here. Yeah. Uh, the easiest place is Twitter. Um, so just at Spigford. Um, that's where I talk too much. So um, you can go to maybe.co. There's some links to that stuff. That'll change a lot over the coming weeks. Um, but that sort of ends up being the like, launching pad to 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 not be behind on stuff um anywhere else i'll send you and it'll change in the next week so. <laughs> yeah that's right maybe tomorrow who knows maybe change tomorrow, is the only know. constant right that's, that's for that's, sure uh thank you so much for sharing all of this i'm super excited for you in this project like it's really really cool not just to see that you're building something amazing that i might find very useful for myself just to see the the, the just the excitement and enthusiasm of people in the community that over the last like what 20 days or something has just exploded that is so so cool so i'm Really, really happy that you're sharing this, that you're doing it. And thank you so much for chatting about it on the show today. Thank you so much, Josh. For sure. It's been a ton of fun chatting. Thanks for having me. And that's it for today. I will now briefly thank my sponsor, Acquire.com. Imagine this. 
You're a founder who's built a really solid SaaS product. You acquired all those customers and everything is generating really consistent monthly recurring revenue. That's the dream of every SaaS founder, right? Problem is you're not growing for whatever reason. Maybe it's lack of skill or lack of focus or lack of interest. You don't know. You just feel stuck in your business with your business. What should you do? Well, the story that I would like to hear is that you buckled down, you reignited the fire, and you started working on the business, not just in the business. And all those things you did, like audience building and marketing and sales and outreach, they really helped you to go down this road, six months down the road, making all that money. You tripled your revenue and you have this hyper successful business. That is the dream. The reality, unfortunately, is not as simple as this. And the situation that you might find yourself in is looking different for every single founder who's facing this crossroad. This problem is common, but it looks different every time. But what doesn't look different every time is the story that here just ends up being one of inaction and stagnation because the business becomes less and less valuable over time and then eventually completely worthless if you don't do anything. So if you find yourself here, Already at this point, or you think your story is likely headed down a similar road, I would consider a third option, and that is selling your business on acquire.com. Because you capitalizing on the value of your time today is a pretty smart move. It's certainly better than not doing anything. And acquire.com is free to list. They've helped hundreds of founders already. Just go check it out at try.acquire.com slash Arvid, it's me, and see for yourself if this is the right option for you, your business at this time. You might just want to wait a bit and see if it works out half a year from now or a year from now, just check it out. It's always good to be in the know. Thank you for listening to The Bootstrap Founder today. I really appreciate that. You can find me on Twitter at Avid Kahl, A-R-V-A-D-K-A-H-L. And you find my books and my Twitter course there too. If you want to support me and this show, please subscribe to my YouTube channel. Get the podcast in your podcast player of choice, whatever that might be. Do let me know. It would be interesting to see. And leave a rating and a review by going to ratethispodcast.com slash founder. It really makes a big difference if you show up there because then this podcast shows up in other people's feeds. And that's, I think, where we all would like it to be, just helping other people learn and see and understand new things. Any of this will help the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful day and bye-bye.